Welcome to Smart Everything and Us, a series of conversations around our increasingly entangled relationship with digital things. My name is Chris Framberger, and this work has been made possible by the Next Generation Internet Initiative and the University of Aarhus. Today I'm speaking with Susanne Bütger, Professor of Human-Computer Interaction at the Computer Science Department, University of Aarhus. She has been one of the founding mothers of participatory design and has focused throughout her career on thinking about the impacts of technology on people and society at large. She coined the term third wave HCI to designate the shift that occurred when computers left the workplace and became pervasive in all aspects of the human condition. We start our conversation talking about how a world that is saturated with digital technology of all sorts is taking this to the next level. Susanne questions the purpose behind this and points to the prevailing technological opportunism, stating many things can be done, but we could also easily do without it. She shares some interesting stories about an energy project she was involved in and how sensors and data helped them to discover the biggest saving potentials. Tellingly, it turned out that cooking together in a communal kitchen would have the biggest impact. We speak about how maybe technology can sometimes help you find out something, but is never uninstalled afterwards. We talk at length about how the idea of participation in design processes can respond to the amount of technology in our lives. While we had mechanisms for participation in the workplace, for example, we lack those on a bigger societal scale. New modes and channels of participation will need to be developed, some of which may well be mediated by technology. To extend participation into use times, we may also need to look into making technology much more configurable, adaptable, to be appropriated and tinkered with. We end speaking about the political conditions that would need to be established to make such participation possible, as it seems hard to imagine that these things could happen under the regime of a Silicon Valley mindset. Enjoy. Thank you very much, Susanne, for making time to have that conversation with me. Um, we're here in Aarhus again, and I would like to start our conversation with this thought um, and with this number that also provided the starting point of my other conversations. At the IoT Week in Aarhus, one number stuck out, and it was a 125 billion um, devices, connected devices, by 2030. And if you believe in uh, predictions of population, that's about 15 connected devices per person at the time. Um, so you were one of the key figures in conceptualizing the third wave of HCI. And in, a, in, a, in an article, you, you sort of like described it as everything that the second wave is not. So it's not about work, it's not about fun, oh, sorry, it's not about work, it's not about the office, it's not about task efficiency, but it's all the, all the things else. Mm. Um, and now this future seems to come true, right? We're, we're living in a potential world that is saturated with technology. What is that going to make of us? Yes, that is a really interesting question. And of course, I'm not sure I know, to be honest, um, I. It's interesting because we had a conversation earlier today with some of my colleagues where we talked about about data and the whole sort of uh, collecting of data about this and this and that, and um, and I I tend to think that that it it's it's actually very difficult for people to 
to use all of that stuff even though it gets collected about us or about our energy consumption or about our, I don't know, exercise patterns or what have you, then what what that leads to actually doesn't isn't very helpful to us in, in, in any sort of way. And I guess I'm just thinking that if we have these, if we all have these uh, 15 connected devices, right, would that make us any happier or any more able to, uh, to navigate in the world around us? I'm, I'm not sure, but, but, and, and I think it's, I don't know. It seems to as that they are, and, and maybe this is also going back to this this third wave thing. They they are kind of disconnected from us. They don't actually help us do the things we as human beings really want to do or or need to do or whatever. A lot of these things are more like. Uh, things that, that can be done, but that maybe we could easily have lived happily without if, if it wasn't because they're just appearing. Right? So it's a bit like IoT solving problems that it created itself. Yes, 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 yes. How do we not, how do we not uh, create, create new problems and, and then need to scramble to invent technology to solve these problems? What would be an alternative path to this? I don't know. I mean, but well, I I wanted to say to just follow up on the uh, on the energy cons- consumption thingy because we, to be honest, so in Denmark we are all getting smart meters very soon. I guess in a lot of other countries they already have them. And and we've also seen examples, for instance, we have a dom here now who said what got rigged with all sorts of sensors and so on. And the idea was largely to try to help people lead a, a life that was more energy efficient and so on. But but honestly so so with all these sensors, with all these smart devices and, and so on, you they could easily see for instance whether it was a boy or a girl living in the dorm room and whether somebody was sleeping over or who wasn't in there but but the honest truth was that the kitchens were set up so that each of these flats had had or units had a kitchen and uh, by far the most the energy consumption came out of the fact that that everybody brought home their food items, whether they were, you know, take out food or semi prepared food or whatever and they turned on the oven, they were heating mm. individually their right. stuff. And um, and so so actually if they were going if if something had to be done to really shift the energy consumption in that dorm, it would be to put in communal kitchens and make sure that people would would cook together and meet each other, which would then would probably also solve a lot of other problems that kids, students seem to have, such as loneliness and isolation and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think it's it's very interesting that 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 it shifts from being sort of uh, a matter of sensing more and more or measuring more and more into something that are actually much more fundamental uh, elements of what it means to live 
uh, maybe a good life. I'm not sure. It's interesting that in this case, you know, you would almost argue that um, you could build these centers and collect that data and then you find something out um, what to do about a particular problem. You know, the inside that communal kitchen were the biggest levers for energy consumption. And then you could almost kind of take the census away again. And it seems that we don't have a moratorium for IoT stuff. When we have found out what was to be found out... But I think, isn't that largely true? I mean, I I have an ongoing conversation with a friend of mine who's very addicted to to counting steps. And I'm always thinking, you know, I know when I haven't moved enough during the day or when I've moved enough for which days I've moved more than other days. And... I don't actually need the the step counter on my on my telephone for that. Mm-hmm. So I think it, there are many examples where where yes, you could say why. Let's take them out. Maybe maybe they're good for a while and then maybe not anymore. So maybe maybe we need to kind of learn to kind of put it off again and, and yes. collect the IoT sensors back and and say like this is what it, what needed to be done. Yes. Yes. There's an interesting um, German philosopher, or German-Austrian philosopher, Günther Anders, who had a very uh, relevant concept to this. Um, he builds on this Promethean um, myth where Prometheus would bring fire to humanity and kickstart um, you know, evolution or whatever. Um, and, and he argues that humanity always was defined through the tools that we arranged ourselves around mm. our, our, that we arranged around ourselves. Um, and and in a way, what he's seeing is, is that we're becoming increasingly ashamed for just being born yeah. and not made like technology. Yeah. So there's no software update for us. There's no second version of us that comes out in the year that you could buy. Um, and, and we almost subordinate ourselves to whatever machines can measure. Yeah. So we become yeah. machines. We, yes. I think that's that's. I mean, I I don't know that work uh, at all, but I think it's a good point. And uh, yeah, mm. and and I'm I'm actually since I'm often also more interested in in communities or collectives or collaboration. You know, I think it may also largely uh, be true not only about people. I mean, but also. So that about even, our social, our hmm. social world, our social life. That there's, there are no, there's no machinery that can sort of be put in that and make sure that this has happened, despite Facebook and everything. I was just about to say, like, it's, I mean, the equivalent of, this, of of a of a measured society would be Facebook, and mm. you know, while. Back in the day, friendship was something quite complicated. Yes. Uh, it's now reduced to the amount of likes. Yes. Uh, to yes. A certain degree. yes. 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 Now, I mean, you've been one of the very central figures very early on uh, in the field of participatory design. Uh, and initially, that was a political project. Um, mm. But it, 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 as a very central idea, was to come up with alternative technological futures yeah. in ways that were somehow democratic and mm. involved other people in some sort of future discourse. Yeah. Um, and given the amount of technology that has so dramatically increased, 
How do you see participatory design responding to that? Mm, I think it's a good question. And, and somehow my feeling is that, that it's one of the places where the argumentation that I made regarding the the second and the third wave technology where where that argumentation basically still holds because I think in a in a lot of ways in a lot of places when it comes to technology in the workplace we have we have mechanisms where both people are included in making choices and decisions but also where where people are taught and educated to use the technologies so so it's kind of thought about in terms of how not only not only the technology here now but also its its development and what we learn from using the the current technologies also with respect to later introducing new and different technologies perhaps and and i guess with a lot of these uh, off work technologies it's it's a matter of going somewhere and buying them but we and of course we could have sort of vote with our feet to some extent as in buying or not buying but I think actually we, we are more often limited in that than we think and and I mean there's no there's no way for us to go back to what it, whether it's a The, the people who do our smart meters or for that matter again Facebook or Google and mm. and request or even require something of them mm. um, without respect to our own participation but surely also and I think we we see that more and more uh, mm. and a, at a sort of more global or national or community scale where it's very difficult to to uh, try to get influence on how these things are developing. So, do we need new channels of for participation? Is that something that could also be something that is to technologically mediated? Or mm. where, where do we kind of locate participation in an age when everything is just coming off the shelf at a, at a mass rate? Mm. No, I, it's, it is indeed a, a good question. I think somehow there are possibilities whereby, I mean, whether this is a European project or whatever it is, but there are other ways of doing, of doing uh, both startups and also larger companies and larger things than, than, than Google and Facebook and all of those so so maybe it's time for somebody not the american or the silicon valley business model to try to rethink how how these things can happen mm. and uh, and somehow i have a feeling that you know we as europeans could have a role to play there i'm not saying i mean it could also be interesting to see what would happen and come out of uh, I don't know Africa for instance mm. uh, but but I'm just it's not as clear to me that that the means are there to 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 do that in a way that will make an impact mm. let's assume for a minute like the the, the best political intentions mm. um, which are 
difficult enough to kind of establish. But um, let's say Europe kind of says we want to do things differently. We want to have a democratic vision of our technological future Mm. and we want to have continued participation in creating that. Mm. You know, at a scale of a a few hundred million people, um, the question is still just very pragmatically how do you how do you configure participation mm-hmm. around a great vision but also very small practical things uh, you know what kind of sensors are being built into what kind of technology mm-hmm. and how to use them and you, you cannot possibly vote on everything right so the 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 the, the, the way that this innovation could be democratized in the way that the PD projects in the 70s kind of envisioned mm. would be just pragmatically a lot harder. I think so, but I think at least on the... Uh, well, I well basically, I think we need to go for much more open and, and configurable technologies, right? I don't think that this is something that, that can happen by, again only by sort of bottom-up grassroots initiatives and so on. But I think when I when I see what some of my colleagues are doing, like Martin Kung with the health data, and also, but also Ole Iverson and some of the stuff they've done with schools, I think it's actually... Um, you need to work on a lot of levels and you need to uh, collaborate with, with important stakeholders at these various levels. So it's... It's definitely not trivial, but I think you can think about alternatives that, that kind of uh, cuts between both both political and, in a sense, maybe also bureaucratic levels, and then mm. and then the individual's mm. preferences and needs mm. and so on. And and of course, it's not necessarily the case that everybody just gets what he or she wants. I don't think that that's profoundly at the heart of democracy either actually you know mm. there are issues of compromising and consensus and so on that and that, disagreeing yeah yeah and disagreeing that 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 is there as well but i mm. think somehow to 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 get to some of these places where some more open forms of technologies can also then to some extent be be appropriated mm. and adopted to to uh, to our you know individual or community or needs. I think is actually uh, what it's I'm a, thinking. It's a quite interesting um, pathway also for design, right? Mm. Because design mm. was used to do their design, and then the design was sold. Yes, and it seems that this kind of creation and use time boundary is increasingly or maybe needs to be increasingly dissolved in yeah. ways that yeah. we design our, our life on the go in while we're using it. Yes, yes. My, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of thinking that it's also uh, to some extent, I think, making a connection back to issues of sustainability and stuff like that because to be honest a lot of these consumer technologies the way we get them today you know you can use them and then you need to throw them away because they can no longer be you know updated or 
there are certain whether it's physical things that are broken or whatever. But I think, I mean, I have now again a fairly new iPad at home that can no longer. It doesn't have enough memory that it can be updated really to the newest versions of the software. At least not without deleting almost everything that is on it. So it's it's kind of. I mean, I remember that happening to the MacBook Airs as well at some point. That you basically couldn't do an update within within the memory that was was on the computer. And I think those are the kind of things where it would be more more plug and play kind of components that could be reused and recycled mm. are also somehow in there, I would think. Mm. There's a, I read a study the other week that relates to this where they estimated that in, in the span of five years, it was a 2015 study, I think. So from 2015 to 2020, which is only next year, all the data centers in the United States of America uh, would need to be enlarged to kind of take all the additional data by the Internet of Things, uh, and then be and and their additional power needs would be the equivalent of ten large nuclear plants. Mm -hmm. And you think like you th you always think about data as something that is immaterial, mm. but actually it has quite a quite a footprint. Yes, right? and, it and, does. It does. And yeah. the internet has now a CO two footprint that is larger than aviation and shipping together. Yes. And I but I think I mean not only that, but I think there is also an increasing awareness that this is the case, right? Mm. And I mean I think there's been a lot of discussions, for instance, of what what the footprint is of streaming uh, movies mm. and stuff like that. It's just maybe maybe not so much your example of uh, of, of IoT data, but I guess the streaming services is mm. another example that where people seem to kind of understand that this is a challenge mm. and that it's not just something that's happening out there without consequence for, for us all. I want to quickly come back to the, your point of like configurable futures and and plug-and-play and modularized or, or design-and-use stuff. Mm. Does that also have implications for the user, the traditional user, in terms of, like, do we need to educate everyone to be the designer of their life? Uh, that's a... I don't know. It, it sounds big as a question <laughs> when you're asking it like that. But, I, but mean, I do... I mean, I do think that, that of course, we all... Computational sort of uh, empowerment, as 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 uh, Uli Wilson talks about, is you know I think we 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 do need to understand this as well as we understand reading and writing. But but I think you know it's probably I I I would I would think that it's still a mixture of many levels of skills mm. and competences but but I think just like there are more and more of these different forms of reuse recirculation fixture stuff think community activities everywhere I could easily see that there would be a future for for helping yourself or and helping mm. others set up things uh, and and of course that 
there's a certain level of infrastructure that also needs to work in in these cases, right? Mm-hmm. That again could be provided by technology in in in, in good ways. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's like, I mean, one of the counter arguments that Apple, for example, would make is is that you know Apple is not allowing people to to tinker with their devices because they would make it not as pretty as they would. No, no, no. And no. and there is a certain kind of ownership and brand, and that's very carefully crafted and and also well done in, yes. in many yes. many cases, right? No, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I'm also an Apple user, and I mean, I'm. It's not the only reason, but for sure, this is one of the reasons why. Right? So so it's a it's again kind of a funny interaction between how much. How much should we design for this um, appropriation, mm. uh, and and how much structure do we provide ahead of time? Yeah, you know, and, and, yeah. And, yeah, and of course, also, I mean, you can say how much can we anticipate, and I, I guess that's true for us all as individuals. It's true, probably also for the big companies. Right, and mm. of course, when you look at how how technology has has developed and the sort of leaps just in the past twenty something years, right? It's not entirely predictable what what was um, what happened and what what really caused changes. And I'm just sort of thinking that you know we can we can't. The the iPhone isn't the whole lot more than ten years old, right? But mm. but we, it's so difficult to to even think about how it was back then because there's so much that has that has changed. And I'm actually thinking I was uh, talking to my students about uh, the two papers by Paul Dewey and one with Steve Harrison about place and space. And it's so obvious in the first of those papers, which was written in in the mid nineteen nineties, that 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 mobile technology was not a thing on their radar in terms of talking about how people were through technology dealing with place and space, right? It it, it comes up in in uh, the in Dorish's two thousand and six paper, but. But not in the ten years earlier paper. Then, then it was virtual worlds and other things, and and I think there are there have on and off in 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 our recent history been been these uh, things that that have taken us all by surprise. And I think the smartphones are in a certain way actually mm. one of them, and the whole sort of the way. Mobility happens, and I think getting back to all your questions about the, uh, you know, and the internet and the IoT and so on, I, I you know, I, I don't actually, uh, even even though when we when we go back some years, of course there was talk about whether the, whether the internet was uh, had enough bandwidth and so on, but but the proportions that we're kind of using it, with, now. I don't think anybody really have foreseen, and it's mm. not, you know, it's it's not in all respects well entirely well suited for 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 the way the way it is. And I don't know. I'm, I came across what is it? Was it somebody on Twitter who who posted this this map of the original ARPANET from 
And again, you know, if you think about it, it's it's not that many years ago that that the the internet kind of moved into becoming this thing that's available to all of us, right? It's not. I mean, even though it's 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 still in in kind of my children's lifetime, right? That that we I remember when we you know the first kind of web browser and you could search for information and so on. But but again, it's, it's really difficult it's to uh, think, even think about how yeah. it was. It's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny how that works because we recently read uh, Asimov's um, predictions about robots and yes. futures, right? And uh, and obviously that's a lot older, but it was always technology in, in a lot of these early science fiction works were always kind of um, anthropocentric in a way. They were always like in human form, robots that yeah. were in human form. like. And, and the one thing that revolutionized us most looked very different and, and, and fitted into our pockets yes. in a way, right? Yes. So th- yes. this is this yes. took us by surprise, and this ah. had a far bigger impact and a, and a very different impact. Yes. Which kind of leads me to think, when you, when you look at all the narratives that are being currently uh, spun about the IoT, you know, I recently watched a video by Samsung about the perfect world when, you know, there's still things in there about the smart fridge and the, the clever coffee machine and stuff how ridiculous will they look in five ten years Mm -hmm. about you know compared to the reality that came about with iot Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) and and how different that future might look yeah and is but it what i mean even though all these realities might be very off are do you think that there's still a good uh arena of contesting these futures in a you know in, in terms of participation and 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 the political process of trying to figure out which technological future we would want mm. to have it's a good question uh, i think the uh, the potential is there and maybe the general Again, I'm I'm sort of getting back to I think the 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 general sort of awareness among human beings that there are these challenges and that technologies as we know them aren't or shouldn't and couldn't be necessarily taken for for granted and they are not there's not some god somewhere that that you know have have told somebody that this is but but that it's actually people who are earning money from it and mm. and so on and so forth. I think there is a bigger attention to that. Mm. Um, the question is sort of what the what would be the formats of uh, you know where would where would people meet and talk about these things? What where what are the right democratic fora if you can talk mm. about it to to talk about to 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 to, um, to discuss those things and and I think largely our our political our, our politicians ha- have not been 
too well equipped for actually having these discussions. My sense is that it's actually getting a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's because, of course, also they're also getting more and more more educated, right? But when you when you look at how, say, the 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 interviews that that the uh, the American politicians are making with Mark Zuckerberg and so on, it's not always entirely obvious that they understand what what's going on, right? Uh, so I don't know. No, I I don't know. I think mm. it could well be that that it is all that it is also necessary for you know for people like us and our students and whatnot to 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 act more politically than. than I was just about to say it has two ways, right? You maybe we need politicians that are more tech savvy or. Or technologists that are more politicians in, in yeah, 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 or yeah. political, or maybe both, right? Or maybe or both, prob- probably, probably both. both. Yeah. In that respect, I, w- I was quite um, interested to learn during the IoT week here in Aarhus that Denmark actually has a tech ambassador. Yes, we uh, do. <laughs> in Silicon Valley, yes. Um, and one interesting fact was that usually these kind of technology um, ambassadors are kind of part of the business department mm-hmm. uh, and here it's part of foreign policy yes which i found um an upgrading in terms in terms yeah. of like yeah. politicizing yeah. technology yes. I, i thought that was a very interesting fact that they are yes that, that, that they and, send as, and again according to my understanding and i'm not sure about this because i'm not sort of following it in great detail um I think they are they are opening in a sense more and more of these. They are also, I mean, they started in Silicon Valley, but but my my feeling is that they also they've been working to also have somebody in Asia somewhere, whatever whatever that is, uh, whether it's happened or not, I'm not sure. But but I think there. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I was a little bit skeptical up front, but I think it's also because you, you. It's tricky to see where, why, you know, what is it that they can do if it's not like business promotion, right? Mm. And I must say, I'm also, I get a little bit exhausted, tired when every time we get a new minister of research and we do that quite often i mean i think we've had like uh, my our rector of the university was saying he's now been here for six and a half years and there's been like 12 or 13 different ministers of research (laughs) in that time But they always start by going on this tour of the uh, of Stanford and, and Howard and MIT and and you know, um, and it 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 tires me a little bit because I think it's not obvious that those are the places you absolutely would want and need to go as as a minister of research in Denmark. Mm. Uh, not, not that. I, of course, I think they should like politically and so on follow what's happening there. But, 
But there are many challenges, like these universities are so differently funded than the mm. Danish ones that I'm not sure how much they can learn. I also think that with, a, with respect to this whole sort of startup tech company world, the situation is also so different then it's not necessarily a good place to be and then we haven't even talked about the political level mm. and the sort of ways in which one can uh, you and know and human Europe, human mm. human beings can influence their situation. And Europe is organized in very different ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And and that might be a chance actually yes, to, yes. to kind of make this a political arena. Exactly. So, right. so if I could do something to like send them elsewhere than to these places, maybe they should all come to us. Yes, but that you know is probably not as exotic. <laughs> you know. Maybe, maybe the weather is more crappy. What else? <laughs> I'm a little conscious of time already. Yeah. Uh, we um, thank you, Susanne, for for sitting down and sharing your thoughts on this. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to many more of these conversations and um thank you very much